Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Professor Lampy, can you please introduce yourself and tell us about your role at the University of Michigan? Yeah, hi, my name is Cliff Lampy. I'm a professor here at the School of Information. I've been studying social media for over 20 years at this point, Yeesh. and uh, much longer than we've called it social media. <laughs> uh, so I've seen lots of changes over time, for sure. Outstanding. And, you know, we've had the opportunity to interact on multiple occasions throughout the course of my tenure here at the institution as the director of social media and public engagement. Um, and I'm intrigued because we haven't connected in a while. What are you currently working on or excited about? Yeah, there's a whole bunch of really fun stuff going on. So I'm actually, one of the fun things I'm doing is creating an information literacy campaign on TikTok. So we're going to be uh, taking some of the lessons that we teach in our introduction information class for the undergraduates and converting those into TikTok videos to release over the summer and fall. So, you know, um, hopefully they'll be fun, short, you know, kind of a uh, really interesting way to engage with content in a different way. That's fantastic. The um, Office of Academic Innovation and the Michigan Online Campaign actually recently reached out to me and I had the opportunity to participate in a teach out. Mm -hmm. So um, same thing, right? This one was uh, aimed at K through 12 and okay. parents which you know, is always an interesting group to try to teach digital literacy to as well. So um, certainly an important topic right now. Yeah. Which leads me into my next important topic uh, <laughs> because it is something that we all, I think, have heard about but don't know enough about. Um, and so there's a lot of forecasting being done uh, regarding Elon Musk's purchase right. of the Twitter platform yesterday. Yes, so, so give, depending on your point of view, Batman either just Bruce Wayne just saved the Daily Planet or Lex Luthor just bought the Daily Planet. It's an right? Excellent like, analogy. <laughs> yes. So, you know, walk us through from your area of expertise, yeah. um, what this potentially means, what you think we foundationally know that it means. And then let's talk a little bit about the uproar that's kind of happening across the online space. Yeah, it's interesting. I think based off what Elon has said he wants to do, there are some things that he wants to do that are going to be easy and some things that are going to be hard. The relatively easy thing for him to change is site policy, right, which includes who gets banned for what. So if he wants to change the rules about what constitutes like free speech on his site or what constitutes harassment, or if he takes away any rule that says like, look, nobody can be banned for anything, anything's fair game as long as it's not illegal, like, you know, that's the easy thing to change. The harder stuff to change are some of the things he's talking about in terms of like the platform, right? Like, I think the most famous one he's talked about is wanting to have an edit button for a tweet. Um, I'm not 100% sure he can do that technically, right? Like Twitter is an old platform. It is, was 2006, so it's, you know, quite a, quite a teenaged platform by social media standards. And, um, you know, I am sure it's technically possible to change the back end to allow that, but you're talking a scope and a scale that most people can't imagine, right? Twitter is a huge site with a complicated infrastructure. It's not just going to be a snap of the fingers to make major kind of interface changes like that. And even if they did, um, you know, you have to test it, you have to make sure it works well, you have to make sure there's no unintended consequences. It's, it's actually a lot more complicated than people think it is to change a big platform like that. It's not just as easy as like, oh, we'll just change this and it'll be fine. Uh, the other, I think, force that will 
mitigate some of, I think, what people are worried about in terms of big changes to Twitter are kind of the market forces, right? Like it's still an advertising platform. People are still going to have pressures in terms of uh, like what they want to advertise their content next to, what they're happy with with advertisements. So I think that'll be a mitigating force. And then to some extent, there's also the company of Twitter, the bureaucracy, right? Unless he just fires everybody and starts fresh, you know, you have people with vested interests with the, here's the way we do things like some of that can be positive, some can be negative, but it's, it's just still not easy to implement these huge cataclysmic changes that I think people are worried about. But I think there will be changes for sure to Twitter. Absolutely. I think one of the pieces of the conversation I found most fascinating yesterday, you know, is the perspective of those of us that have been in this industry for so long, watching these um, very kind of, they felt knee jerk sort of reactions, whether it was I'm leaving the platform, right? We're going to see a mass exodus, which we encountered a year or two ago regarding Facebook and their advertising policies. And we kind of saw how that shook out, right? Um, You know, but there was this, this dramatic response. A lot of people talking about how one person shouldn't own a platform or have this much control. And I just kept thinking to myself, has anybody looked at Mark Zuckerberg lately? Like, you know, so or Carlos Slim at the New York Times, right? Or Jeff Bezos, exactly. So, talk me through what you think. You know, from a research perspective, you know that controlling interest could mean, or does actually? How does that? You know, is that realized throughout a structure like a social media network? Right? Like, what does his stake really mean? I mean, I think it's not dictator powers, which is, I think, what like he presents, like he's a very bombastic guy and he's presenting, like, I'm just making all these changes without any input and it's going to be a press of the button. But that's his style, right? He's, he's kind of a sales guy that way, right? It's, I think there are, there are other board members, there's the shareholders, there's the, you know, leadership at the company, there's all those things. And, you know, funny, like my friends who work at Twitter have been kind of worried about the changes too. But I'm like, you know, I don't hear a ton of people worried about working at Tesla, right? Like, you know, that company, you know, my guess is Musk puts in a leadership into Twitter. He sets directives, which I think the biggest change will be kind of this reorientation towards absolutist free speech. Um, And we'll see how that shakes out. But, you know, he's going to put people to run the day-to-day of Twitter. Like, it's not like he's going to do that. He's got, you know, Joe Rogan to appear on and stuff like that to do. Yeah, we um, we've had a lot of different conversations over the years about social integrity and digital literacy, yeah. um, and I think that at, at the root of this, at least in appearance of how he Elon Musk is is talking about it, he seems to have a passion for that kind of general direction. Free speech is obviously being thrown around a lot. Um, you know, I've seen some people who have been posting screenshots that, you know, they're personally banned on their account or blocked, sorry, not banned, blocked by Elon. And so, you know, what a hypocrite. Um, To which I may have waded into a conversation and said, you know, blocked, not banned. There's a difference, devil's in the details. Um, So walk me through kind of that. Like talk to me about the way in which we could approach this new age is it opening up the floodgates? Is that actually a good thing for us at this point? What have we learned over the course of the last couple of years? Yeah. What do you think? I mean, content moderation is hard, right? Like it's always hard because it's always involving this tension. You, you do want people to have the ability to express themselves, right? And the ability to have this marketplace of ideas. At the same time, there are some ways that people express themselves that can harm other people. And you don't want people to come to harm. 
So how do you balance this kind of tension between rights and potential harms that you have, right? So, um, you know, one way is blocking, right? Anybody can say what they want, but I can block them and I don't have to see that. There are, unfortunately, that's like an imperfect solution because there's always ways around that. You and I both know that if you're a, a persistent bad actor, you can get around some of these tools and keep harassing people. And unfortunately, the people who are most likely to get harassed um, enter what we call the spiral of silence, like, right? That it's, you know, women, it's people of color, it's, um, you know, trans people, it's folks who are more vulnerable in general in society, and they're also more vulnerable in general on social media. And it's easier to attack them on some dimensions over which they have no control. And like, it's basically the, the rational thing, what any normal human does is just shut up when they're being under that kind of pressure, right? They leave, they, you know, you don't stay at a place where you're being attacked. Well, that just drives out those voices, right? And we haven't found good moderation tools that fully protects those people while allowing the kinds of free speech that especially in the US, we think of as kind of our inherent right as humans, right? You know, so it's, you know, it's a challenge. And I think, you know, Musk has some uh, naive views of content moderation um, that come from being a super rich white guy, right? Um, but like, you know, it is complicated. It's hard to do. Um, I don't know any platform does this very, very well. It's it's a big challenge. I, I tend to agree. And it's one that I think, as we've experienced with social media, evolves so quickly yeah. that the minute you think perhaps you have the ability to address one thing, another, you know, element has sort of spun up, which brings me, you know, to these recent platforms we've seen spin off, whether or not mm -hmm. they're made by prominent former political officials or right. private entities. I'm on them all. I love them. Tell me about what's out there right now, what you see promise in, you know, for those that are looking to potentially leave Twitter or there are other alternatives that would give them a, a, a space that they feel like would more or better suit their needs or um, what they support. Yeah, it's interesting. Like a lot of critics of um, social media more broadly would say like, look, this isn't a problem of Elon Musk. It's a problem of what we call surveillance capitalism in social media, which is the idea that the major funding model for almost all of these private social media sites is basically harvesting human attention and selling it to advertisers. So, but what do you do with that, right? What are our other models? Do we want a government run social media platform? You know, everybody like everybody makes the same face when you mention that, right? Which is, um, you know, maybe C-SPAN runs a social media platform, right? But we do have other models. What about a nonprofit platform? Wikipedia is one of the fifth, five largest sites on the planet and runs a completely successful nonprofit model, right? So in, you know, over 70 languages at this point. So there are ways that we have done this in the past. Um, so that's, you know, what, what the future looks like is pretty open right now, which is awesome. In terms of alternatives, you know, I think there are things that will feed your like proclivities if you like them to. Like you can always go to Gab or MeWe or, um, you know, some of these other sites. Parlor, I think is still around a little bit. Um, you know, you can go to Truth, you can go to any number of these kinds of um, imitators that pop up. The issue always is what we call the critical mass problem in social media. Right, like the idea that um, a platform is most useful when everybody else is connected to the platform. Right? You can imagine a phone is not a useful technology unless everybody else has a phone or more people that have a phone more useful it is. So um, none of these have really taken off. Um, 
on the other side, there are these open source platforms like Mastodon that people are really invested in and are like, all right, now's the time for Mastodon to finally, it's been around for 10 years. It's basically like an open protocols, social network platform. There's lots of different ones, still hasn't taken off, right? It's just, it's a critical mass problem. And, you know, uh, we have survived many generations of these platforms over time. You know, uh, some, the only thing that ever replaces one is not people boycotting and leaving. It's something better coming along and replacing it. Absolutely. Right. And so, you know, it hasn't happened yet, but that doesn't mean that there's not space for it to happen. Yeah. I, I saw a few really intriguing threads related to Mastodon um, yesterday, which you know, it's always good reading, right? Yeah. We've got to educate ourselves on things. It's like rooting for the underdog. That's right. right. Maybe you, maybe this is your time. Um, you know, you mentioned generations and obviously you are a beloved member of the faculty here at the uh, School of Information and are working with the, the, you know, they're not perspective by the time they get to youth, but they are our students, they're the younger upcoming generation. Um, how is their social media behavior? Is this like, is Elon even on their radar? How are they using Twitter, if at all? Have they all navigated to TikTok? Tell me about what's cool with the kids these days. <laughs> uh, definitely uh, TikTok and the gram are still pretty cool with the kids. Uh, the nerdy kids still like Reddit, right? Like, um, you know, the, they are following similar patterns over the past couple of years. So I think they there are some on Twitter and Twitter is a space, but often the accounts are locked down um, and they use it mostly like the public facing social media. Facebook is almost like, you know, I have my name in the phone book, but it's not a, like it's not my real phone number kind of thing. Right. It's it, it has been largely abandoned by kind of the youths. Um, but Instagram is still really popular. Snapchat is still really popular. Um, you know, and then other smaller socials, depending on what group they're trying to interact with. I think what a lot of the young people do is they kind of like, there's a thing called context collapse where you want different parts of your life to be separate from one another. Like I don't want my work friends to know my real friends kind of thing, right? And so um, they're subdividing those separate networks in their lives by having them on different platforms, right? So I might be working on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, but my social or entertainment life is on Instagram and TikTok. So it's, you know, um, very active ecology of social media sites still. I think one of the interesting things about the youth too is that, the youth, that sounds so old. <laughs> uh, I think everybody assumes because they've been raised with these technologies, they inherently know how to use them, right? But it is such a mistake to assume that. And the hard part is like, you know, we've gone into high schools and we've asked like, how do you learn about these technologies? And there's no systematic way they're learning about these things. They have no idea about how to use social media in a way that's not going to harm them or it's not going to cause them problems. Yes, we have had the opportunity to speak um, in, in high school scenarios. I've had the opportunity to speak in your class before, which I've always enjoyed. Um, you know, one of the, the topics that's really fascinating me right now related to youth and social media usage and it's one I've always been interested in is related, of course, to mental health. Mm -hmm. um, we know coming out of a pandemic, not only is the global society in a, in a weird space, whether you're working professional um, or, you know, a retired individual, but children and youth, high schoolers, college students have been uniquely impacted by the pandemic. And so how, you know, are you seeing behaviorally any adjustments within social media? Are you seeing, you know, it was, um, profound in helping with isolation or did it prolong it? Um, what's the latest kind of in that space? 
I don't think we've seen anything systematic yet, right? Um, and there's been not enough kind of time to do the science of what's actually happened. I, I think there are two major hypotheses and there may be a mix of them that's true. One is that it provides social support, right? That, that you can go to people and get that kind of emotional support that you need. The benefits of this on social media are of course like it's ubiquitously on, there's always somebody paying attention and you can kind of go out and get the help that you need, you know, just a attaboy or you look great or whatever that happens to be. The other thing that's a little less obvious that I worry about is what I think of as the toxoplasma of anxiety, which is kind of like, I see other people performing anxiety in different ways in social media. Like they'll say they're stressed and, and I, we should, like I'm not saying that we should hide our emotions and negative emotions need to be expressed. But I worry that without the context, you know, or the context gets buried in social media. So people feel like they kind of have to also perform anxiety or depression um, in order to kind of be part of a normative social media experience. Uh, you know, it's one thing to feel anxiety for natural reasons that, you know, are clearly around us, but it's another if it's being induced by kind of um, your experiences in social media. And it's interesting when we, for the undergrad class I teach in social media, we have them write about social media as kind of a utopian or dystopian tool. And so many of the young people pick dystopian perspectives on social media right they really do feel like something's up and it doesn't change their use often and they're still very heavy users of social media but they do worry about their use overall yeah what a fascinating thing it's you need it right those of us that work with it so frequently um you know i i know it impacts my personal usage of the platforms because the last thing I want to do is be on them after I check out or try to at the end of the day. Um, and we began kind of our just catch up before the uh, audio began about our professional um, work that's being done. And so I, I want to always get your perspective on the people that do work with social media and how you see them um, kind of navigating through the spaces. I know there's been an enormous amount of turnover across yeah. the industry. Um, the, the great resignation, as they call it, has certainly impacted us significantly. Um, do you think everyone's just done and ready to wash their hands, sick of being attacked and putting out dumpster fires? Or you know, what, what's your advice in that space? I mean, it's interesting. It's definitely taken its toll, right? Like both the kind of Facebook advertising scandals of last year, not sure how people thought advertising happened, but it became a scandal for some reason. Um, and then the Twitter stuff now and all that stuff, it, it wears, right? And, you know, in the industry, often what you do is you kind of flip between companies, like, you know, if, if you need to, to kind of feel fresher or better about the way the work's going. What I see more is like a lot of my people just emerging from their master's programs or undergraduate degrees who might go into that industry are now coming to me and they're like, is there anything else? Right? Can I use these skills to do anything that's going to be less soul drudging than this? And that's been a change, right? Of people who are looking at the industry and being like, I've got the set of skills around social media and user experience design or whatever it happens to be. I don't want to go do that. What's a good, worthwhile thing for me to do? Wow, that's it's heartbreaking, right? But also um, incredibly, I think, enlightening that people are looking to make a change. Which brings us full circle back to to Elon and kind of where it began. Um, I hate 
to be cynical. There's enough of it to go around for everyone. And so I think personally, as a professional in this industry, I'm just kind of watching it and sitting back and, you know, what's, what's the worst that could happen at this point? Um, but in the same token, you know, if somebody's <laughs> we were, willing to... <laughs> we were joking earlier in another call, like, it's like somebody vomiting in my trash, right? Like, <laughs> does it really make my trash that much worse? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, if somebody's willing to try some new things, like, maybe we could be optimistic for once. And, <laughs> and there are some people left that still have a passion for, for making things better. Now, that's given everyone a lot of credit. Um, but I think... Yeah. We all kind of need some after living through a global pandemic and still kind of navigating our way out of it. Um, so we'll, I'll ask you one more question. We kind of wrap it up, but you know, is there anything else that, that you want to share that you think, you know, people um, should be looking to maybe as part of digital literacy to help empower themselves a little bit more as they continue to try to navigate these platforms that we can't control. And I think it is interesting, the transition from full pandemic mode to halting pandemic mode is kind of been an interesting transition. And one of the things that I've seen is like a lot of Zoom burnout, right? Like people just don't participate in online spaces because they have spent the past eight hours of their work or school or whatever participating in online spaces. So how we recalculate kind of our uh, willingness to kind of engage in mediated conversation versus in face conversation, how that changes as the phases of the pandemic change. I think that'll be the interesting thing for the next six months, right? How does social media react and change? Like, you know, TikTok got, I think, a little bit lucky, if that's a phrase, by kind of um, hitting their big growth curve just as the pandemic was happening because, yeah, it, it created a connection between people. But now we'll see. We'll see what the social media landscape happens now that we've moved to the endemic phase of the virus. Absolutely. I know I've recently, I think, saw a post that indicated um, they felt like they reached the end of the TikTok algorithm. They'd scrolled so much, right? So they're <laughs> certainly beginning maybe a little bit of fatigue there, um, which I also think has um, then led to an odd usage of LinkedIn lately. Right. That platform's just been blowing up and I think they've I been waiting LinkedIn, for man. years. That is for the that. little platform that could, man. Like that is a, that, people who have, do not understand how old LinkedIn is and how it has hung in there like for so long. And it's because it, it fills a niche in the social media landscape that nothing else really fills, right? That's right. They deserve this moment in they the sun, really right? I, I've got nothing but heart for LinkedIn. Like, <laughs> I, I still haven't personally figured out how to use them effectively because I'm never really looking for a job, but like, you know, they're great. Someday when you when you might be, it'll be there for you, right? Well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to catch up. I greatly enjoyed our conversation. I think a lot of people are going to find it very valuable. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.